Welcome into this week's episode of the It's Two Tales World Podcast. Tom Hack alongside Steve Bartle. So much to get to, so little time. Check Steve out on Twitter at sbartle247 or at uturn.com. Seven-day free trial for those interested. Or myself at Tom Kahnpacket. Okay, so sports.com. And of course, we can't start the podcast without mentioning Nate Wade Subaru. Uh, terrific, terrific partners. My word, 1207 South Main Street. They want to buy your car. By the way, I was on their website the other day, natewade.com, and they literally have everything there. Uh, so, like, when the world shut down a year and a half ago and nobody was doing anything, I guess they just put all of their resources into uh, creating a better user-friendly experience on the website because you can go there, you can set up appointments, and you can look at inventory, you can even get an offer on your current car. Uh, it's it's truly special. Lateway.com, go check them out, tell them we sent you, and uh, they'll look after you, give you a bag of popcorn, juice box, you name it. Steve, tap it, man. What up, Tommy? How's it going, man? Dude, I'm good. I'm good. What day is it today? Is it? Are we? Is it? No, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Today. Yeah, it's it Wednesday. is Wednesday. And uh, so hump day. We love that. Uh, we get through today. We have Thursday night football to look forward to tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, boy, it's all downhill from there, if you ask me. Thanksgiving next week. But my word, Steve, this is as big of a game as, as well, I can remember. Uh, Geez, I don't know. You'd probably have to go back to the Pac-12 title game in 2019. To and, and coincidentally, it was against Oregon. So Utah, Oregon. Whenever these two teams meet, pretty pretty big battles. No, absolutely. This is a huge game for Utah, and I think you know outside of the Pac-12 championship game, like I mean, you could you could go back. I mean, even further. Cup like a month earlier, maybe that Utah Washington game. As in terms of just looking at regular season matchups, that Utah Washington game in 2019 at Washington, Zach Moss, Tyler Huntley, Jalen Johnson pick six. Like, um, and even then, like Washington wasn't ranked. Like, this is a huge matchup for Utah. This is a big, big game, Tom. Like, huge. This is a big game. You're you're welcoming Utah's welcoming. The number three team in the country. Number um, three. Number three. Yeah, it's uh, says a lot about where they're at as a program. They've got the best win in college football, and yeah, this is a huge matchup this weekend. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Ohio State's only loss is to Oregon. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And Oregon got them in Columbus early in the yeah. year which is probably a good time to get the Buckeyes if you're going to get them at all, I guess. But mm-hmm. number three team in the country. Let's start there, Steve. Um, and I don't want to offend anybody that is an Oregon fan, but are they are they the number three team in the country, do you think? Or is it like, – like, I just don't – yeah. okay, I'll be honest. I'll be transparent. I don't think they're the number three team in the country. I think they're a top 10 team, but number three in the country, I've seen them play, Steve, and they put up performances where it's like, ah, oh, you know, like they barely got over the line against, I think it was Fresno State, you know, like, like sure. number three team in the country. Yeah. No, it, it, it says a lot about how valuable that win is. And I think, you know, with the playoff committee, like as long as you get those big wins, that's all that matters. Like they're not watching these games. It's pretty clear that they're not watching these games. I think even Gary Barta said that they don't watch these games. Like, I think that he literally said that uh, on Tuesday night or whatever they, they dropped these, that, you know, remove what you watch from these games and just look at the numbers. And it's like, no, like that doesn't, 
like that absolutely matters. You got to evaluate these teams. You got to watch them. Um, but it's clear, like you know, they view that that Ohio State win very very highly. Um, and and like I said, it is the best win in college football. It has a ton of value for Oregon, and they've kind of ridden that value uh, the rest of the season because you know they haven't played great. They haven't looked looked great. Uh, you know, they they dropped a game to Stanford. Um, there's certainly plenty of context surrounding that game uh, where they were out. They were without Joe, Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator. What kind of impact does that have? Um, they've, you know, this working team is really, really interesting. They've looked really good at times. They've looked really bad at times. Um, and I, I think, you know, kind of the inconsistencies start on that offensive side of the ball with, you know, their quarterback, Anthony Brown. Um, and, and so, you know, it's wild. Like, I agree with you, Tom, like in terms of just like the eye test, like the eye test tells me that this is more of like a, a team that should be ranked five, six, seven. Right. But, but again, like that, that win at Ohio state, um, and the way that Ohio state has played since then, like it just, it shows you just how valuable those big wins and big games really means to this playoff committee. So like I get it in in one sense, especially with what Gary Barta said, uh, who's like the the chairman this season of the playoff committee. Um, I'll have to find that quote because it's awful, uh, but it makes a lot of sense and why they have Oregon where they do. So, so I want to dive into like the team stats because it's quite remarkable just how close these two teams are when you look at the numbers. Uh, and I'm, I know you have, but you know, for the rest of the crowd, they, they haven't, but so, so I, I want to touch on uh, the, uh, what Barta said about the, the winner against Ohio state and, and how that could potentially impact, you know, future scheduling for Utah. Um, I know I think this is public. I, I don't really know, I, but I'm going to say it. Um, like Coach Whittingham, he considers BYU as a Power 5 team, um, and now I guess technically they are with the Big 12 invites and everything, but even when they were like independent and very little chatter about joining the Big 12, he still considered them a, a Power 5 team and the emotion. And so he basically um, has instructed the athletic director to not – if BYU's a part of the non-conference schedule – he doesn't want another Power Five team on the schedule. He wants, you know, the Weber States or the Idaho States to be there so that they can, you know, we can fund them some coin and then, and then like a Group of Five team if if BYU's on the schedule. Like that's why you've seen like the Fresno State or the Wyoming's or you know whatever. And then there's BYU and BYU's considered to Carl Whittingham and the Utah football program is kind of that Power Five team. But and I understand why he does it because. Like playing BYU is physical. It's an emotional game. Like it drains yeah. the players. You know right. that entire week is tricky, and it's it's a tough game. And and there's there's no other way to kind of explain it. But but should he should he start to to think maybe about increasing? And I think they have. That's a part of it too. Is like is is um, what's his bucket? The athletic director uh, Mark Harlan. He's kind of said, like, uh, we're going to schedule bigger teams because we need – like, Florida and LSU yeah. are now into the fray. Like, yeah. that need, that needs to happen, doesn't it, Steve? And it is happening, which is good. Yeah. No, I think it's it's great that, that um, you know, Harlan, that Whittingham have um, 
embrace that because those big wins, those marquee games and those marquee matchups, they carry a ton of value. You know, it's those cross-conference matchups, and, and it really provides a ton of, of, of uh, context to kind of the, the lay of the land for this playoff committee. And it's, it's supremely valuable for, you know, program, um, you know, to, to not only get a win, but to at least be competitive in those games. And so you give the, you have to give yourself those opportunities to get those big wins, to get those big matchups. Right. And I think they've done a much better job of adding those types of, of, uh, uh, cross conference, you know, conference matchups, you know, with Utah and, They've got Arkansas, they've got Baylor, they've got, um, you know, LSU, Florida, they've got Wisconsin down the road as well. So, you know, it's it's certainly something that Utah um, has done more of is adding those marquee games. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see the impact that those games have uh, for Utah when, you know, we eventually get to those matchups and those games. And it starts next year with Florida going to Gainesville. Um, and taking on the Gators. And, you know, that's a, a potential big opportunity for Utah to make a, an impression next year. So, yeah, I think, you know, regardless of of BYU, um, like it, it absolutely is something that will benefit Utah's is scheduling more of these marquee matchups because you look at what it's meant for Oregon, you know, this year with getting that win at Ohio State, it's it's meant everything. It's, you know, it's buoyed them up. It's carried them through some sluggish play and has kept them in the playoff ranking, which is, you know, it's great for them. So something else to, to like, think about as a fan is um, the Pac-12 plays nine conference games, the SEC and a bunch of others play eight. Yeah. So, like, there's, there's this narrative that the Pac-12 stinks and they, you know, there's a good chance Utah beats Oregon and Oregon's not going to be in the playoff and, you know, whatever. And now, yeah, another year goes by in the Pac-12. But they play, they play like, one extra conference game a year, which which is like pretty substantial, I think. And I don't know if people understand just how substantial it is. I don't know if the playoff committee, I don't know how much you know thought or emphasis that's placed on it, but like clearly it plays a role, and clearly the Pac-12 has sabotaged itself enough that they haven't been in the college football playoff for a number of years now. And there's reason behind that. That's also reason why, like. I assume Kyle Whittingham doesn't want two Power 5 teams on their non-conference schedule because they've got nine scheduled already in the conference. Yeah. You know, like that, that, like yeah. all of this plays a role. So just bloody make it work, the NCAA. It's not something you've been good at in the past, but can we just get a level playing field, please? And, and the Power 5 conferences play the same amount of conference games. It shouldn't be that difficult. Anyway, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. That's something more uh, more for the offseason. But, Steve, here we go. All right, bear with me. The first number I'm going to say is Oregon. The second is Utah. That'll save me from repeating myself. I'm going to go through a number of statistics, and I'm going to give you the numbers. First, again, for all the, all, all the people out there, the first number will be Oregon. The second will be Utah. That'll stop me from going Oregon this, Utah that, like 20 times. So just... Bear with me. Points per game, 35.3 to 35.7. That's what, 0.4 in favor of Utah? Yeah, so nothing. Points allowed per game, 22.6 to 23.8. So Utah's given up just over 1.2 points per game. I mean, this is where it gets really crazy, Steve. 
total yards, 441.3, spit it out, Tom, to 438.1. It's like two yards, you know, the difference. Nothing. Yards passing, 213.9, 223.6. Yards rushing, 227.4, 214.5. Yards allowed, 367.9 to 346.9, like nothing in that. Pass yards allowed, 248 on the dot, 207.7. So Oregon's given up, you know, a decent amount more in the air than Utah's. Rush yards allowed, 119.9 to 139.2. So Oregon's stifling the run pretty good. So, um, And then, like, to further dive into all of this, and I know the ESPN fo- football power index is, you know, a load of nonsense, but... They give Utah a 61.8% chance of winning, Steve. Holy cow. Yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> like, pretty, pretty interesting. And, and, you know, I think the Vegas, they've got Utah as a three-point favorite. I think they're minus three in, coming into this one. And, you know, it's been interesting diving into this one. Like, the numbers as you just went through them, Tom, pretty even, right? Like, there's not much separation between these two programs. But then you look at, like, the the talent, you know, in terms of how we evaluate, um, you know, at 24-7 sports and the recruiting ratings industry. Um, and there's a huge difference in terms of the talent level between these two programs, uh, you know, and, and I think Oregon has something like 44, four and five star uh, players on their roster, which is, you know, more than double the number that Utah has. Um, so there's a ton of talent in the program up there at Oregon. And, and that honestly, that might be the difference in terms of just how to kind of view this game. Um, but even then, like Utah, I think they have the, the talent at the, at the right positions, right? Like coming into this one, I think we can agree that Cameron rising is a better quarterback than Anthony Brown. Like, Anthony Brown has done a good job for that Oregon team, but Cameron Rising is is a much better quarterback than Anthony Brown, and I think that can account for um, that can make up for a, a lack of overall talent. Um, you know, you've got the right pieces in place, uh, but man, this this team, these two teams, right? There's the, again in terms of just the product on the field, maybe they go about it different ways. Uh, but man, there is not much separation in terms of the production on the field. It's, it's a pretty tight matchup on both sides of the ball. Well, let's, let's just start with, with Oregon, Steve, take us through kind of the cliff notes version of you've, you've kind of harped on a few things with Brown and, um, you know, Thibodeau on, on the defensive side of things, but like, let's go through like some key players and, and talk about strengths for for the Ducks um, for all the Utah fans out there that maybe haven't done done their homework quite yet. Yeah, no, for me, I think when you're talking about this Oregon Ducks offense, it starts with the offensive line. Um, you know, Mario Cristobal coming to Oregon as the head coach, he was a big time offensive line coach. I think at Alabama, um, and you know, he's brought kind of the emphasis. You know, and recruiting big offensive linemen. And you see it this season for the Ducks. They've got a gigantic offensive line. I think they average 316 pounds across, you know, those those five bodies. Um, and, you know, they've got two guys that were offensive tackles, you know, in high school playing guard. 
um, that are both just gigantic. I think they're 6'6", 325, 6'6", 335. Um, and so it starts up front with the talent that they've brought in, you know, in the trenches. And they've, they've become a very good team, you know, in the run game in terms of their ability to block, to generate yards for the run game. And, um, you know, I've talked about this before, but there's a, a metric called line yards by football outsiders that kind of determines the amount of yards the offensive line provides, you know, running backs, quarterbacks, whoever's running the ball. Um, and the Oregon offensive line is the number two offensive line in the country behind who else? Oregon State. And what happened in that Oregon State game? Oregon State ran rampant, you know, against this against this Utah defense. And so uh, with, you know, but with that said, Utah responded well the next week, you know, after that Oregon State loss against, I think it was the number six team in UCLA in in line yards. Uh, And so, you know, what are we going to get from this Utah defense? You know, we'll see. And we'll talk about it more, I'm sure. But to, to start the conversation, you have to start with the guys in the trenches for the Oregon Ducks, because with Anthony Brown and his struggles as a passer, Everybody knows that Oregon has to run the ball and they've still been able to run the ball pretty efficiently, pretty explosively. And it's, again, it's because of the guys in the trenches. Yeah. Um, so if you look at some of the rushing numbers, Travis Dye's their leading rusher. He's their number one back. Through 152 attempts, he's, he's rushed for 908 yards. It's an average of six on the dot. He has 12 touchdowns to his name, which, which yeah. you may think is a lot. Um, and it is. Like 12 touchdowns is a significant amount. Um, the second rusher on the team, Anthony Brown, Steve. Yep. And he's had 109 attempts. That's, that's a lot of carries for a quarterback for 551 yards, 5.1 average. And he, he's had eight rushing touchdowns on the ground. Yeah. Significant. No, yeah, he's he's a a big time presence in their run game. Like they feature the run game with Anthony Brown. He's a very athletic guy, um, you know, and and so he's they have to utilize him in that in that manner because you know he's he's not a great passer, and you know so he's he's done a good job of picking his spots of when to run, um, and you know it's he's contributed very positively to their run game totals. Like you, like you said, I think he's got what over 500 yards total yeah. this season. He's done, he's done a really good job. Uh, they, 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 I mean, their running back room is, is pretty deep. Ryan Coldwell yeah. and CJ Bedell have also carried the football a decent amount of times. And, and they've got nine touchdowns on the ground combined between the two of them. So they, they score a lot of their touchdowns on the ground, Steve. Um, is that, and then, and so you go back to Utah this season, um, and, and that, surprisingly, I guess, they, they've actually had a, a pretty difficult time stopping the run, Steve, which is something Utah hasn't had all that much issue with in previous years. But uh, Carl Woody has spoken about it you know, at nauseum, it seems, about how he's got, you know, I think it was like at one point, and it may still be three freshmen on the defensive line who are really talented, you know, Van Fillinger, yeah. Xavier Carlton, those sort of guys. But, but they're just they're just young and and you know they haven't like grown into their bodies there's still a lot of muscle that they need to put on they, they need to gain some weight and and so that, that that's 
got to be a pretty big concern, I have to imagine, with how successful Oregon's been rushing the football this season. It's kind of been Utah's weakness defensively, right? No, absolutely. You know, you can go back to their three losses. And how did the opponent beat Utah? It was, you know, with the run. It was with the run game. You know, you can look at uh, the BYU game. Um, you know, Tyler Algier ran it pretty consistently uh, and, and really started to pick up a lot of yardage, you know, six, seven yards per pop late in that game. Um, San Diego State, again, another team that relies on the run. They, they have a physical office in front um, and they were able to block and generate yards in that game uh, for their run game. And, and lo and behold, Utah's unable to, to leave um, that game with the win. Fast forward to the Oregon State game. Offensive line, very physical up front, uh, created a lot of opportunities for the run game. Um, and, you know, what happens? Oregon runs all over. With that said, you know, I'm fascinated to see the impact that playing at home can have for these guys, you know, and and because all of those games, all of those those matchups were on the road. And, uh, you know, so we'll see what kind of <laughs> added juice uh, <laughs> can can Rice Eccles provide these guys in the trenches. They're going to need it uh, because, like I said, this Oregon offensive front is is very good. And, you know, as you pointed out, Tom, this Utah defensive line is very young and they've got to they've got to grow. They've got to mature um, physically. And, you know, I think this group would have been really, really good had they not lost Vianne Moala. Like I've been thinking about this a lot. Utah needs, you know, those those senior those junior senior veterans that have been in the program for four, three to four years where they have that maturity, they've been through the process for a number of years. And then you can kind of utilize these freshmen here and there. But with the loss of Vianney Moala, it's it's really kind of thrown a wrench in things where now you've had to rely on these freshmen more so than what you were expecting. So now that depth is kind of exposed um, a little bit where, you know, it's it would have been a great weapon for Utah to use these freshmen in certain situations while still having those stabilizing forces, you know, in, v- in Viani Moala and, and, you know, you still have Hawati Pututau, but, uh, but still, like, I think it's just kind of exposed some things uh, for Utah up front, um, exposed their youth. Um, and so it's, it's, this is going to be a, a big test for that group this weekend. And like I said, like, I'm very interested to see the impact of playing in front of the home crowd, what that will mean to this group. Um, and just to, to see their progress. Like I said, like they responded really well after that Oregon State loss. Um, they, they shut down the UCLA run game. They shut down the Stanford run game. You know, they didn't have a great game last week, but, you know, we'll see how they, you know, bounce back from that sluggish performance last week and uh, this weekend. So you know, there's always the opportunity for growth week to week, and I, 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 I hope that we see that from this group this weekend. The, the only thing I'll say with um... – and you're not wrong, by the way, but, you know, you go back to UCLA, they're probably the best team Utah's played since that last Oregon State. They, Donovan Thompson-Robinson did not, did not right, play right, that game, right, which, right. which is obviously... Certainly uh, helps. Certainly made life easier for Utah. Not, nonetheless, they still were able to suffocate that 
that dangerous UCLA offense and and limit them to very little. So, so Steve, I don't know how your brain works, but this is kind of an insight into how mine does when I when I look at two teams, you know, from a football, you know, in, in a football setting. Um, I go, yeah, I break offenses down into two, passing and, and running, you know, passing the football, rushing the football. And I do the same for both teams. So, so I'm thinking about Utah and Oregon, and this is kind of how I'm breaking it down. I go, you know, Oregon uh, has the better rush attack than Utah does, but it's marginal, you know, because I think Utah's got a very good rush game too. Like assuming Tavion Thomas, by the way, if he if he's not healthy and he's unable to go, that's a big, big blow. If he's healthy and can play, um then I think, I think to be honest, I think the rushing attacks for both teams are pretty similar. Tavion Thomas has 14 touchdowns. Travis Day has 12. Travis Day has like, I think it's like 200 or 150 more rush yards, but he's got about 30 more carries to his name. So they're pretty similar is my point. You know, you, you can almost call that a wash if Tavion Thomas is, is healthy. And then I start to look at the passing attacks from both teams and I go, well, I actually think, and you alluded to this earlier, Steve, Cameron Rising in Utah and the weapons they have on the on the outside with 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 Brad Keithy, Brenton Covey, Vele, Solomon Enos, you know, the list goes on for, for Utah. I actually think Utah's got the upper hand when it comes to the passing attack. I, I think Utah's more dangerous throwing the football than Oregon is, which is a statement I never actually thought I would ever say. Uh, but here we are, 2021. Utah has the better passing attack than the Oregon Ducks. Um, is, is that fair of me to to kind of estimate in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's fair. I, I'm, I, uh, you know, and I think it, the, the, uh, the difference in the passing game, you know, it starts at the quarterback position, right? Like I think, I, I think everybody would agree that Oregon maybe has more, not maybe Oregon has more talent at the receiver position. Um, just natural God given talent. Like I don't think anybody would argue that, but I do think that, that Utah has the better quarterback and in order to have a good passing game, you've got to have a good quarterback that can throw it. Right. And I think that's the difference for Utah there. Um, I think it's more, I think it's closer um, in the run game. Um, but I, yeah, I would, I, man, I don't know. Utah, man, Utah has been so good on the ground the last few weeks, but how much of that is a product of the opposition um, and where they're at as program. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think it's very close. I would probably side with you and, and give the edge to Oregon just because you know, they have the big offensive line that, that does a great job. They've been able to sustain it, their, their run game, you know, effectiveness without their top guy in CJ Verdell, who was lost in that Stanford game. Um, you know, so whew, that's tough, but it's very, very close. You can go either way with that one. Yeah, it's it. So then we're left to to kind of think about the defenses, the two defenses, and a battle of first round picks. If you ask me, Devin Lloyd for Utah, Thibodeau for uh, for the Oregon Ducks. Who has the better defense, in your opinion, Steve? Ooh, oh man, that's a great question. I mean, I think I think the Oregon defense. Um, you know, they've got experience in the secondary. They've got playmakers at linebacker um, Sewell being one of them Sewell, you know, and, and then they've got, you know, a defensive front that's strong against the run. That's consistently strong against the run. Um, you know, Utah plays very good defense year in and year out. Uh, man, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Tom. Is it a flip of a coin? Uh, 
I, I mean, I, if I lean anyway, I probably lean towards or, oh man, no, I can't because I, I think Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell are just so good. They, they do a lot of things that, you know, man, that's tough. I could go either way, Tom. It's a flip of the coin. It's a, it's a pick basically. I mean, so, so there's no, there's no question Vegas has this at a three point margin favor of Utah and for betting for, or for people out there that aren't all that familiar with betting. Um, and I'm no expert, trust me, but um, I, I do believe Vegas generally gives three points to the home team. So it's basically a pick them uh, yep. is what Vegas is saying. Um, and they're just giving Utah three points because they're playing at Rice Eccles. I imagine if this was being played in Oregon, Oregon would be a three-point favorite just because of the home team. Mm-hmm. Um, so ooh, wait, uh, let's get into the health then of, of Utah because it's going to play a pretty significant role. Tavion Thomas we spoke about. Is he going to be healthy, Steve? There's also some concern about offensive line. Uh, Nick Ford was quoted. Uh, Nick Ford's such an interesting player. Um and 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 in an interview, he, he kind of shares a lot of information. Uh, and this week, he told us that, uh, and I don't know where. I think it was just after practice one day. He said that he's been struggling with uh, like a flu or something, and he's dehydrated because he's taken all these drugs. And and so then he went into detail about how he got a stomach cramp and a leg cramp and an arm cramp on the final drive, but he pushed through it because he's neck forward, baby, and that's what we do. So is he going to be healthy, Steve? Is the offensive line yeah. okay? What's going on? Yeah, no, I think the offensive line, I think Ford is okay. I think he made it pretty clear that he was just dealing with some cramps uh, <laughs> in Arizona. I think he's had a sinus infection. Sinus is what it infection, is. sorry. Yeah, yes. and uh, and so you know, I think, I also think Keaton Bills, you know, who's been out of the lineup the last few weeks, um, you know, I think I think he he's probably available this week. What what is uh, what is going to be interesting to learn on Saturday is the availability of of a guy like Fabian Marks who left that game that Arizona game. You know he was it looked like a non contact injury um, where he was chasing down Will Plummer on that fourth down run and then you know, he comes up limping um, in the middle of the play. So his health is in question. Uh, Tavion Thomas who wasn't available. Theo Howard who I think played just one snap, the health of those guys, where are they at? Uh, I think those are, are really important things to to keep an eye on over the, the next couple of days and into Saturday. But at least we know Nick Ford is healthy uh, and that he was just dealing with cramps because that would be a big blow uh, for, for Utah. They need Nick Ford. They need a good offensive line performance. Um, and Nick Ford is is really, really key to that. Uh, we're at a point of the year, uh, according to Carl Whittingham, where no more injury updates will be given. Yeah, <laughs> which kind of scares me, Steve. I, I got to say, it kind of it worries me a little bit <laughs> because, um, well, like he's a freak when it comes to injuries. His old wit, he's just an absolute weirdo with it. He's like really, really, really frightened about the thought of another team potentially having insight into one of his team team uh, into one of his players' injury health. Um, but we're like going back to where we have been over the years where like he's just kind of get, goes into his little hole and I'm like, no, Kyle, stop. Just keep doing you. You've done such a great job this year. Look where we're at. We're playing some of our best football that we've ever played and we got, we're, 
We're going back to old ways, man. Stop. Beat somebody beat it out of him or something. Like, I don't like it, Steve. I don't like it. I just be transparent. Uh, and good things will happen is how I've seen this because he's been as transparent as he's ever been in media availability this season. When it comes to injuries or depth chart, he's just he's like, screw it, whatever. Let's just let it out. And it's actually kind of been cool and it's kind of worked. And now it's like we're going back to what we were dealing with earlier. It's like no more injuries. Oh, because if Cristobal finds out that Fabio Marks can't play, you know, like everything changes. No, nothing changes. Just go. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't remember this being a thing, but apparently, this is how they operate year in and year out. But I don't. I, like I said, like I don't remember injuries. You know, at the end of the season and season-ending injuries becoming a thing. But you know, I think he even said, like, we don't want to tip the hand to the opponent. It just doesn't make sense. And it's like, all right, like that's just that's <laughs> that's how you. See, if he loses, will let you. He, he yeah. loses sleep over this sort of stuff, man. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's wild. But like, I get it. Like, so I, it makes sense, let, right? You know, and, yeah, it, yeah. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> Neither do I, man. I, what are we talking? I don't about? know. We're talking about bloody injuries. We're talking about practice injuries. Um. Anyway, whatever. Here we are. Uh. The NCAA, this is going back to the NCAA, and it's again probably more of an off-season subject. But if the NCAA were just to like mandate injury reports, like any other, you know, like well-known, respected league out there, this would never be a thing. But instead, they're too hung up about the billion dollars they're making on merchandise that you know they just let this stuff fly. And it's what will always like kind of turn me off the game a little bit like i love the game i can love the game i played it for crying out loud and i can am passionate about it but there are just certain parts of it i just hate and like to be honest that's one of them is you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to hide injuries you should have to make that public because i just think it's so stupid goodness gracious anyway i nearly went down a rabbit hole steve and i stopped myself um where else do we go? So uh, Arizona game didn't quite turn out how uh, we envisioned. Do you remember last week's episode? We basically sat here on our throne and talked about uh, how this Arizona game could well be a replica of the Stanford game. And my word was it not. Uh, yeah. That came down to like, you know, the, the final minutes essentially of the fourth quarter, which was quite surprising. But either way, it's college football. And, and, and I guess the way I would explain to fans or when I speak to my in-laws, I'm like, this is, we're, we're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old kids here, which is like part of the attraction to college football because like upsets occur all the time. They really do. And it's because there's no consistency because if you were 18, 19 or 20 again, you'd go back and realize just how many mistakes you make every single day, whether it be in relationships, in a classroom, on a football field, whatever the case may be, you are learning uh, uh, every second of every day at that age and uh, and to rely on an 18, 19, 20-year-old to be consistent is certainly no way to uh, to potentially have success. And so I, I, that's how that's what I wrote that that loss. Oh, sorry, that win up to, Steve, was just 
teenagers, young adults being young adults and not showing up because they thought they could roll them. I, I don't know, but that's kind of what you need to expect when, when you're dealing with kids that age. Oh, I think like, yeah, it's, it's certainly something to, to expect. And, and, uh, and so it, it provides an opportunity for this young group, you know, that hasn't been through these moments to learn, right? Like, I think that's kind of been the, the, the interesting thing to, to hear from the players as we've been up, um, you know, talking to these guys the last two days at media availability is that, um, you know, th- that game provided them the opportunity to clean up some things, <laughs> which is, you know, really helpful that it happened the week before the Oregon game. It didn't happen in the, in the Oregon game. So the timing of, you know, this sluggish performance that they had uh, is really, really helpful because, you know, there's, for a coach anyways, I don't think there's any better way to have the attention of your players than after a game like that, right? Where it's opponent, it's an opponent. You're clearly over, you know, you're just, they're overmatched by the amount of talent, the level of play that you, you bring to the table. So you can get the win without your best performance there were some clear mistakes, some clear costly um, events that took place in that game that if they happen against a team like Oregon, you know, it's, it's, it's ugly, right? And so, uh, you know, you get the mistakes out. And yes, they are mistakes that we've seen previously, which is very concerning. But I think for a coach, that has to be the exact type of game. I don't want to say the exact type of game. You always want your team performing you know, at its optimum, but, you know, it's, it could prove to be very beneficial for Utah this week. Um, you know, as long as they get back to um, the things that they were doing well, cleaning up the mistakes and buying into what is, what is being coached and, and doing what is, what is asked of them. I think it could be a, a beneficial experience for them as long as they allow it to be. Sure. Yeah. No, I look, I, yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think the more mistakes you make, the more you learn, the more you grow, yeah. the better you become. And so hopefully we, yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. The, the, yeah. Something I'll add to Steve is, um, and I, I think I speak on, on both of them, but you, you go back over the, the last year with, with this project, you go back even like a year and a half, I guess. You start with the Morgan Scally incident, which was you know, pretty detrimental. And, and then you go to the first death, the first tragic death of the family um, on Christmas Eve. And then, of course, there's a second death a few weeks ago with, with the murder of Aaron Lowe. And, mm-hmm. like, there's just been, it's just been so much that this this group has had to kind of overcome and nothing short of, of tragedy. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled that they, they're going to get to experience this game. Uh, because this is this is this is why you play the game. This is why you come to the University of Utah. This is why you 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 try and play collegiate football. Is for games like this, uh, where number three in the country rolls into town, and you 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 happen to be ranked as well at number twenty three. Rice Eccles Stadium is going to be as loud as it's ever been. I have to assume. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is why you wake up at six a.m. for six months straight. You scrape the ice off your windshield. 
in the middle of January uh, to go and run and, and sweat and work out. And like, this is, this is why this, this week, this whole week yeah. is it like, and so I'm just with everything they've endured and the handful of Sarah, um, the handful of funerals they've had to attend and the trauma that they've experienced as a, as a group. I, 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 and yeah, you know, if they win the game, great. If they lose the game, whatever. But but just to experience this, I think is is unique, um, and very few people get to experience it. Let's. I don't want to like sound too pessimistic, Steve, but there have been photos going around of other Pac-12 conference attendances Ooh. and uh, Washington, UCLA, Arizona. You know, like pretty, Yeah, there are some pretty sorry. Uh, stadiums out there. Utah is fortunate it's not one of them. Um, and so there just aren't that many people that get to experience this sort of this sort of atmosphere. Right. And um, two powerhouse programs in in a power five league go toe to toe. I I mean I'm I'm drooling just thinking about the fixture the the, the matchup because I think it's um I think it's butter, Steve. I think that's a perfect yeah. way to explain it. It's bloody butter. That's all. Yeah, no, butter. it absolutely is. But uh, um, <laughs> it's uh, this is arguably like we talked about in the open. Like this is arguably the biggest game for Utah, a regular season game. Man, like you could go back. Man, 2018, was there a big one? No. I mean, maybe that that Utah, Oregon game for the South Division where you had Jason Shelley uh, leading the way. They had the the hand painted helmets um, with the, with the swoop wings, you know, you could go back to that game as maybe being the biggest, you know, this being the biggest game since that game, which was three years ago um, there. Yeah. This is a huge game. And, and hopefully, you know, the crowd uh, is, is there from the get go and Utah fans have been great this season. It's been awesome to see, um, you know, especially, I think the must gets a lot of flack, but um, I think the must has done a really good job. Yeah, they're sure. Like it's not full to, to the brim, but I think the must has done a really good job. Um, I think fans North end zone always does a good job. Uh, the, the presence of the South end zone is wild. Like I still can't, it still hasn't sunk in that, that it's like, that's what it is. You know what I mean? Like right. it's still, it's still kind of foreign to me. But it's it's such a huge, huge deal, and and uh, is is really really cool, obviously. But um, but again, like Utah fans have done a great job this year. I hope that they pack this thing to the brim before kickoff, uh, and and uh, and have a really good showing this weekend because you're going to be on primetime ABC, and it's good to have a good showing, a full crowd at kickoff. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. No college game day. That'll be in Columbus, Ohio. That's where the Buckeyes are hosting Michigan State. Top 10 matchup uh, out there in the Big Ten. But it's ABC. It's prime time. It's 5.30 p.m. Uh, It's going to be gorgeous. And it's nationally televised on on one of the bigger platforms you can can play on. ABC. ABC. There you go. So it's, yeah, it's massive. Uh, Let's, before I get out of here, let's have a quick gander at the weather because that's obviously going to play a role. Oh boy, Steve, this isn't good, man. I was thinking maybe I'd take old 
mini me to his uh, to his first college football game, but I'm starting <laughs> to think maybe that's not going to play. Forty uh, percent chance of rain. I can't go into details. Uh, like I can't break it down hour by hour because it's too many days out. I'm on my. I'm just on the weather app on my phone. I'm sure you can figure it out if you have more time. High of forty seven, low of forty five. Uh, yeah, I reckon uh, I love going to Rice Eccles, but this one uh, probably better suited on the old couch with Dirty Doc Pepper in hand, Steve. I reckon maybe just uh, just having a gander, 40% chance of rain. Bloody cold as can be. <laughs> Tom, we were just talking about showing up on time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's not me, that Steve. Was, we should have talked about the weather before. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, not like oh, it's going to be rocking. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I just don't know if I'll be helping with the rocking. That's, <laughs> but I don't know if they need me, Steve, to be frank. I think they're good without me. I think, in fact, I think they're probably better without me. You know, whoever takes my seat will be louder. They'll be louder than uh... me. So you don't want me there, Utah fans. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, good way to end the pod, Steve. You're a good man. It's lunchtime on this beautiful Wednesday. Uh, appreciate oh, man, you dearly. That was great. Head on over yes, to zone.com, seven-day free trial. Check Steve out at, uh, by the way, you said 24-7 earlier, and it blew my mind. I was like, I, I say 247. Yeah, like, A lot of I, people do. Yeah, and I, I've just always thought, like, ah, oh, it's 247 sports, but it's 24-7 sports. It makes so much more sense now. Doi. Yeah. I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, head on over to Steve's Twitter, at 247. What is it? Two four seven Bartle? Oh, it ruined me. Now you've completely butchered my S Bartle twenty four seven. Thank you. I'm S Bartle twenty four seven. Radio, and just go check me out wherever you can find me. I don't care for it anymore. Love you, Steve. Love all the <laughs> listeners. See ya. Love Nate Wade Subaru. Go check him out. Twelve oh seven South Main Street. Bye. <laughs>